This is Science Wise, Questions at the Confluence of Science and Ethics, a podcast of the Nobel Conference at Gustavus Adolphus College. This fall, the Nobel Conference is entitled Big Data Revolution, and it's taking place virtually on October 5th and 6th. Today, I'm uh, very happy to be joined by two members of the Gustavus faculty who have a really big role in this year's conference. Tom LaFaro and Carl Larson. So I wonder if each of you could introduce yourself and tell us what you do at Gustavus and what you do with respect to that podcast. Tom, let's start with you. Sure. Uh, I'm Tom LaFaro. I'm the Clifford M. Swanson Professor of Mathematics. I am also chair of the Mathematics, Computer Science, and Statistics Department, and I am co-chairing the Big Data Revolution Conference with Carl. Yes, and I'm Carl Larson. I am a professor in uh, the Department of Health and Exercise Science, and I'm the program director for the uh, public health program here at Gus Davis and Tom's sidekick in this whole endeavor. Cool. So uh, starting with you, Tom, where did you come up with the idea for this conference? So, uh, I think it was probably at my brother Wally's cabin uh, uh, in in Missouri. My brother Wally, who um, is going to be taking part in one of the panels panel discussions, he is also a mathematician, and but he doesn't work in academia. He works at Mastercard and does big data kinds of things for Mastercard. And uh, we were at his cabin, and I remember him telling me about. Uh, some charitable work that MasterCard does with NGOs and that he was involved in uh, using big data to help some non-governmental organizations. And I remember thinking, A, that sounds really cool. And B, this would be a great Nobel conference topic. And so I think, uh, I think it was like over a spring break and I came back and I emailed you and a few days later, you said, that's great. Let's go with it. So then how did you get involved, Carl? You know, I've been trying to actually recall the exact moment when this happened. And I don't think there was one, to be honest with you. Not, not only are Tom and I colleagues, we're real good friends. And so he shared this idea with me at one point, and we had multiple conversations. And through those conversations, you know, I talked about the role big data plays in my discipline. Um and, and I think at one point, Tom just went, you know, you ought to do this with me. And I was like, OK, so I, I think it was just our our mutual appreciation for the topic and the roles that it played in our world. And it just seemed like a fit for the both of us. And and uh, and, and I'm pretty sure that's 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 how it came to be. Yeah. And I'm imagining that at this point in the process, you're both glad that there are two of you rather than one, given the amount of work for the conference you've done. You bet. I don't think there's any question about that. <laughs> so, Carl, you brought it up. Uh, what role does big data actually play in your your academic or your professional life, Carl? Well, my you know, the favorite thing for me to teach and really where my emphasis is with students who want to pursue this as a dis discipline is in epidemiology. And if you want to talk about the accumulation of masses, massive amounts of data, 
Epi is the great path to do that. Uh, one one brief look through a uh, morbidity and mortality weekly report from the CDC, and your head will be swimming in the numbers that that come from that. And so for me, um, I, I'm one of those people who loves to dive into the numbers. I like to push them around a little bit. I like to find outcomes that maybe people weren't necessarily looking for. Uh, and the, the process of how we establish those numbers, to me, the science behind epidemiology is, is really an amazing thing. Um, personally, as long as I can remember in my world, I've been somebody who loved to solve puzzles. That's always been something that's that's grand to me. And epidemiology is exactly that. It's just a big human-based community-wide puzzle that you're trying to piece together. And so digging through the data that comes with, uh, with measuring disease outcomes and things along that line has always been a great interest to me. And on that, on the note of epidemiology, we'll just remind listeners that we're really excited that Mike Osterholm, uh, epidemiologist at the University of Minnesota, is going to be joining us. Carl is doing a happy dance right now. Uh, and I had a conversation, a brief conversation with him today because he's a very busy man and he's He's um, lobbying for as much time as he can possibly get before he submits his talk to us, because, of course, as you know, that big data is accumulating right now at just an astronomically fast rate. So he's saying, if I write my talk today, by October 5th, it's going to be out of date. Yeah, It'll so. be outdated. Yeah. 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 Things yeah. two weeks is a lifetime in 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 in, in the, the tracking of a pandemic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so, Tom, I know I just sort of naively assumed, well, he's in the math, computer science and statistics department. So, of course, he's interested in big data and statistics because your office is near to someone's. And you said, <laughs> well, no, actually, my my academic work isn't at all in, in data, but you have a sort of an interesting story about how it does connect. Sure. So uh, before coming to Gustavus in the year 2000, I was uh, teaching, at Harvey, teaching at Harvey Mudd College in Southern California, and I was working with some students there on a project and a, and a faculty member there as well, uh, who had just had this kind of nebulous project called Tell Us About Link Analysis. It was assigned to them uh, by a, so another company that they were kind of consulting for. And so in the process, as the students are learning about this, uh, that's where I learned, um, for example, how PageRank, Google Google's algorithm for ranking pages works. And in that process, the students uh, looking at a different algorithm called the HITS algorithm um, that ranks websites on, on a somewhat different criteria in different manner than, than Google's does, they found some certain networks where the algorithm didn't work properly. It did some really weird stuff. And so they characterized that. And we continued that work uh, past when I, when I came here and started here at Gustavus. In particular, what we did um, was we proved when that algorithm will and will not work. And um, the students primarily also um, modified the algorithm a little bit to fix those inherent problems uh, with it. So, uh, and it, 
it happened to use ideas of mathematics that I'm familiar with to, to do that proof. Uh, so I was able to kind of dive right in and, and, and help write that paper and put that stuff together. But it was not really where I came from. Here's something really kind of interesting about that. That was the year 2000. One of the kids on those, that team actually went to work for Google. Um, he was employee less something less than 100 at Google. He, uh, he, he spent several years there, and he now produces Broadway plays. And so I'm a co-author with a Tony Award winner. <laughs> wow. The true, uh, the true no, uh, liberal arts student also. Wow. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You never know where the world's going to take you. And you said that that paper has been cited a lot. A lot. Uh, there were two papers. Together they've been cited, I don't know, somewhere around 300 times. It's by far my most cited work. Um, because it provides a foundation um, for an important algorithm that is used in big data analysis. So it's not just a, you know, just some weird little paper. Because we proved when this algorithm converges to something meaningful, it is a fundamental paper in the discipline. Uh, and you've used that word algorithm, which I think a lot of us now use as if we know what the heck we're talking about. And usually we're just using it because we know it's, you know, it fits in that sentence. And we're like, don't ask us the difference between algorithm and logarithm necessarily, because we might not be able to give you a very good answer, which leads nicely into the question of, what is this conference about and how did you shape this topic? What big data? So do you mind if I start this, Carl, and then you can just follow up? You go right ahead. Sure. So um, one of the things that we wanted to do, I think, was to highlight how all of our data and that we generate as people and that our devices generate can be used to make our lives better and hopefully address some of the thorny uh, issues in society that we have to deal with all the time. Uh, and in particular, we wanted to focus maybe a bit less on the commercial potential of big data and really more on public good, how this, uh, this area of study um, can really address some, some big, deep problems. We didn't want to do that naively, uh, we understand that there are issues with uh, data collection and with um, uh, the way that data is analyzed and how it's analyzed. But primarily, we think we wanted to focus on that aspect of public good and to maybe surprise some people with some applications that they, uh, they may not have seen before. And that was really an early part of the conversation because, you know, I don't know that everybody understands it takes two years to get one of these ready. And so if you think back to 18 months to two years ago, we had some really major data breach issues that were in the news and very public. And Tom and I talked specifically about, you know, the rabbit hole. We could totally go down that path and just get lodged in this big data is bad. But we knew conceptually that there are many, many really good reasons to have accumulated data. Um, a lot of those, which we don't even know yet, we've got so much data that we've collected that we haven't used, right? You know, it's just been accumulating. And so this idea of 
where do we end up going with all of that? Um, and how can we use that for something positive uh, as a society was an important thing to both of us uh, in the in the final product that we had for the conference. Mm-hmm. I remember those early conversations, including things like, yeah, we don't even know that this is data yet. And also learning that my doorbell, well, if I had a doorbell, I don't. But if I did, it would be collecting data on me. It certainly uh, decided that I will not be getting one of those refrigerators that tells me that I need milk. Um, <laughs> So how do you go about, so you said, you mentioned, Carl, two years uh, in the process. How do you, how did you go about picking the people that we invited? Sure. So, yeah, go ahead, Tom. Yeah. So it it wasn't just Carl and I, there was what, six, eight other faculty members and one alum who worked with us to, uh, to choose the speakers that we'll have, uh, on campus or <laughs> virtually on campus anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a lot of just sort of brainstorming, reading stuff, throwing names out there, and then um, and then watching videos to make sure that they could not just that they were not just big names in their disciplines, but could communicate those ideas in an effective manner with the general public. And so for example, Uh, We chose Talithia Williams, not just because she's an accomplished statistician, but because she's an amazing communicator. Um, And and so that was a big part of it, was just really trying to find people that could both walk the walk and in particular talk the talk. And one of the most exciting things, I think, Tom, you might agree on this, is when we were doing those initial meetings with the speakers and those interviews where we had them and you could hear them and you could hear the excitement in their voices and how they explained things and how clearly and and uh, professionally they were able to put things in a context that our our uh, participants in the conference are going to be able to grab onto and and be a part of it's not it's not so heady that it's over the top of everybody uh, who's going to be a part of the conference um, and yet, it's still really entertaining to yep. listen to them speak. And I'm, I get all wound up about it when I start talking about it because their excitement is infectious. And that was one of the things where I really felt like we got this right. Uh, when we, each time we talked to somebody, we were like, we nailed this one. We really picked someone who was good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would add that what's one of the one of the really neat things about this committee has been, uh, you know, it's very deep multidisciplinarity. Um, right. We had religion faculty and political science faculty, in addition to faculty in public health and in math and in statistics. And what and am I missing? Biology, communication. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So really all over the place. The and also they were going back to their department and saying, who do you know? Who do you know? So I think some of these ideas came from even other people. And another thing that I think is really fortuitous about uh, who you all ended up with was we started this, folks, before we had a pandemic. <laughs> and we were yeah. a little tiny bit worried because the conference was skewing a tiny bit heavily in the direction of public health. Well, <laughs> imagine our surprise when that turned out to be just the thing we should be talking about. Yeah, day one, almost all of day one, actually. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. Some really exciting uh, discussion and much of it COVID related in in addition to Mike Osterholm, Francesca Dominici, who will be talking in part about research that uh, that she's done with this giant data set she's been working with for 10 years and how they have 
done some new studies that involve things like forest fires and COVID susceptibility or um, pollution and increased susceptibility to COVID. So I think people who want, who are interested in talking about the pandemic, you'll have plenty of opportunity to do so. So um, when somebody else, like maybe one of your colleagues rolls their eyes and says, why, you know, big data, big deal. Uh, what do you say? Why should, why should the ordinary person be interested in this conference, in this topic? So one of the examples that I've been using when people ask me that, and in particular with students when I've been doing class visits uh, this last week or so, is I usually try to give them an example where big data impacts their lives, but in a way that they probably don't realize it. And the example that I usually give is Google Maps and other navigational systems that give real live, real time traffic navigation stuff. So that those the, those pieces of software are using lots of data. They're using data from traffic cameras and they're using data from all of the phones that are on the road using that same software and they're seeing how fast those phones are moving or not moving, right? And so that's sort of been my entry point with students is, hey, here's something that you use every day that wouldn't be possible without all of this data. And then I use that then as my starting point to talk about the things that are going to happen in the conference. Yeah, I like to ask people if they if they realize how much is being collected on them all the time. And most people don't recognize how and when and where that's happening. You, you talked about your refrigerator, right? I mean, we say that in jest, uh, but I tell people um, regularly, next time you're on Facebook, because a lot of folks still use Facebook, um, pay attention to the ads that pop up. And you're going to be remarkably surprised at how close they are and related to the things that you were looking for on the Internet three hours before. There's a reason for that. The, the algorithms match it. And when when you put out a pattern of behavior online, the advertising algorithm matches that when you're in social media apps. And, you know, that that tends to you know, get people's eyebrows to raise a little bit and go, I never really thought about that before. And it's, and then they notice it. And two days later, they'll come back and go, I couldn't believe it. I was shopping for shoes online and then shoes popped up in the ads next to there. Um, so I, for me, it's just trying to raise people's awareness to the fact that this, this is in all of our lives every single day, unavoidably. You, you just can't, uh, you can't opt out. It's just going to be a part of what we live with as we move forward. So let's talk about it and, and what this means for us and how socially this can this can be really good, you know, uh, down the road for everybody. Mm -hmm. And when you think about uh, so the Nobel Conference, science and its ethical implications, um, the twin charges of it. Uh, some of the questions that are being going to be explored at this conference are are just really um uh, massive in their scope. So um, one of our presenters will talk about a predictive tool that they've developed that helps frontline child um, welfare workers decide whether a child should be entered into the system uh, should, they, should their family be investigated for potential child abuse or neglect. 
and you know everyone's ethical spidey senses um is um you know, alerted by that kind of an example, that kind of a case, because it does seem to challenge some of our most fundamentally held beliefs, which are, you know, like individuals should talk to individuals about individual <laughs> harms. And then you quickly realize, well, that system is not working so well. So I think it's going to raise. Uh, so for me, sometimes I throw out those kinds of, did you know that in fact, um, these tools are being used to make very big decisions that affect people's lives forever. So yeah. So as you think about the kinds of questions, so that, by the way, is Rema Vaithyanathan, who will who will be talking about that. Uh, as you think about what's coming up at the conference, what are some of the kinds of questions that you're excited to hear the presenters discuss? I know we're always excited, especially when there's a little perhaps um, disagreement or robust debate among the presenters. Um, so what what are you looking forward to, Carl? Um, what discussion are you excited to hear? I love the solid academic phraseology, robust debate. I, it's right in our right in our wheelhouse. Comfort zone. I'll tell, you, well, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. For me, it's a very big picture question. It's where do we go? Where 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 do we go from here? Now that we know what we've got and how it's designed, how where do we go? It, because. I don't know that anybody actually has the answer to that. And I'm super curious to pitch that as an idea to our uh, to our uh, uh, speakers for the for the conference just to see the variety in directions that they think we're, we're headed. Um, and part of me thinks I'm going to get very, very different answers from everybody. But part of me also thinks that there's going to be a pattern of similarity in the way they answer that question. And, um, you know, uh, 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 another big piece of what I teach is on, is on human behavior and the, the role that the, uh, the shifting nature of human behavior um, and yet the consistency of human behavior and what this means for the development of these kind of algorithms and how do we keep this stuff positive. So where really are we headed? Where are we going to go? And, and how do we how do we keep this the best we can keep it? Great. Tom, what about you? So um, I am really excited, and I think Carl is too, about the COVID public health aspect. I mean, we've been living through this for a long time, and it'll be really interesting to hear everybody's take on, on that, but especially uh, especially uh, professors uh, Osterholm and Dominici who do that kind of work. So that's one. The other one that really interests me, and, I, and this surprised me a little bit, is uh, the uh, Cynthia Rudin's talk on interpretable machine learning. You know, I don't know much about machine learning, but from what I do know, um, it's really hard to figure out how a machine learning algorithm that, say, looks at photographs uh, learns to di distinguish a dog from a cat, for example. Right. And that and, and that gets at the heart of the interpretability. How is it making that decision? And from what little I know about those, that's a really, really tough question after those things have been trained to then sort of reverse engineer and figure out 
what was it doing to decide that was a dog or a cat? And that's not a little question. I mean, dogs and cats, who the heck really cares how they do that? But when machine learning is used for um, making decisions that have um, have some importance, like, like identifying they, what's cancerous and what's not in or, an MRI. Or, or should I get should a person get a mortgage or not? Right. Then it's important to understand how it is making that decision. And, you know, and that's where one concern that many people have about machine learning arises. And that is uh, is in terms of they, they can be biased. And so I'll, I'm really excited to hear about how that can be uh, about ways that that might be fixed. Right. How we can better understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to Cynthia Rudin, who's going to address that very directly, I know that Vaithyanathan has some really interesting and um, challenging thoughts about that. She, uh, when, when I asked her about this notion of a black box model, she said, well, you know, that's an interesting question because does anybody think that they shouldn't trust the MRI machine because they don't at all understand how an MRI machine works? And I thought, well, that's, that's, she's got a point there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that you're absolutely right. That's a really, really interesting question. You know, and I think, I think Wendy Chun is also going to have a really interesting perspective on that issue. Exactly. And she's going to take us back to the level of why exactly did we design the Internet? Did we design systems in the way that we did? I know as a philosopher, I'm really excited about that because it feels like, you know, pulling the camera as far back as you possibly can to say, hey, did we do this right, you know, at square one? So, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be an exciting discussion. Uh, Well, I am extremely excited to welcome, even if it's only virtually, our presenters to the Nobel Conference. And we should say that although their talks will be recorded and then streamed during the conference on the 5th and the 6th, there will actually be uh, four live discussions where all or most all of our presenters will be on on the screen at the same time talking with each other. So that element of Nobel Conference that people really love that interaction and debate, that will indeed be happening. So we're excited about that. So any last words uh, for our audience, Tom, Carl? Get on your computer, block off those two days and join us. It's going to be really, I think, exciting. Um, You know, as a mathematician, I would really love it if some people do that and go, you know, mathematics is, in fact, pretty darn cool. Uh, sort of a public service announcement that way for, for, for me and my colleagues here in Olin Hall. And I believe that for most people, they'll look at the title, big data. I'm not even sure what that is. What does that mean? Uh, well, you're going to be pleasantly surprised at how much you take away from this two-day experience. And, and my hope is how optimistic you feel about the future of the use of that big data uh, when when our conference wraps itself up. That sounds like a great positive note on which to end. Again, it's October 5th and 6th, and you can go to the Gustavus homepage, gustavus.edu, and I'm pretty sure that on that day you can just uh, find the conference um, a link right on our conference on our uh, Gustavus homepage, and all you have to do is click on it. There's nothing to buy, no installation necessary, uh, and um, it will just live stream from there. So, thanks, gentlemen, very much uh, for your time today, and uh, happy big dataing to you.
Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. ScienceWise, Questions at the Confluence of Science and Ethics, is produced in conjunction with the Nobel Conference at Gustavus Adolphus College. Podcast engineer is Gustavus alumnus Will Clark. Our theme music is Thinking Blues by the inimitable blues singer Bessie Smith. And I'm your host, Lisa Heldke, Professor of Philosophy and Director of the Nobel Conference. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my, my.